Okay, welcome. Um, we're going to learn a mimer. Being that uh, next week I'm not going to be here, we should prepare for Pesach. I'm not going to be able to teach for Pesach next week. I'm going to be in New York Thursday for a wedding. So we're going to uh, learn something for Pesach today. It's a short little, short, sweet um, discourse that we're going to learn. Um, it's actually very short. Um, it's interesting that the, over here in the Lakuti Torah, it's very short. The same discourse in another version. Here it begins, if you see in your page, I gave you two copies, page 30 and page 30, and Tezayin. So the discourse begins on the third paragraph on the page. Sheishas Yamim Toichel Matzais, on page 30. This is in Parshas Tzav. And it, all it is is the bottom of this paragraph and moving on to the next page, the little bit at the top. Um, that's the discourse. Now, the very same discourse is found in the Siddur of the Alter Rebbe. This is the Sefer Lakuti Torah in the Siddur. Over there, it's like this. It starts on this page, and it's one full page, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. It's nine full pages, two columns of small letters. This little discourse that's over here, a half of column. Uh, that just tells you that it might be short in words, but it's very, 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 very rich in content. And every line contains a huge amount of depth. Um, we're going to learn it. Let's see how, how deep we go into it, what we find. I was busy, so I really started pretty late. It's interesting, in my, what I do after I teach something, and thank God we've been teaching so many years already, good 10 years, these Thursday night classes, starting in Pico. And, hey, uh, not 10 years, at least uh, 13, 12, 13 years already. We've taught so many memorandum that I begin to forget which ones I taught already. So thank God I have this pleasure. This is, my, this is my deepest thrill. After I come home over here, I finish the shir, let's say 12 o'clock at night or 11.30. It takes me about an hour and a half just to get home because I have to just like, just chill out. And then when I get home at 1.30, I can't forget that I have to take out the mimer and make a little dot that that one we did already. And I'm trying to wait till the two books that, <laughs> these are very fat books, but I'm trying to wait to see that I get everything dotted. That's going to make me feel really good, that I taught all of Lakuti Torah and Torah Oyer. So I'm increasing the dots every year. The dots are getting more and more. Now that I looked inside over here in the mimer, in the Siddur, I see that this mimer, Sheishas Yamim, the long version is dotted. That means I taught it at one time. Problem is that right before the class, I was quickly looking in, on the website to see if it was ever posted. I don't see it there. So it's two possibilities. Either I taught it and the class is wandering somewhere in the, in the, um, in the, in the big mess of classes that are unposted in the, there must be at least 200 or 300 classes that never got posted on the website, it's a shame. And then there are those that I lost, which 
agonized me so much that we worked so hard in teaching them and then we got them lost. But in any case, or it could be that, I, that it was, I, I taught it on a Shabbos, which usually I wouldn't dot it, so it's surprised that I dotted it, if that would be the case. And the Maimah was taught, but it never met, ended up being posted, which is bothersome. In any case, or it was posted and it was never put under the, ca- under the caption. You know, you have to, when you post, you have to put under all the things that was never put on the Pesach. So it could be, I'm going to find it on the website somewhere, roaming, floating in the air, not attached to Pesach. Those are all the could-be's that it can be. Meanwhile, what we're going to do today is, when I looked through the Memorum for Pesach and, and Lakuti Torah, and in Torah Or, I found that this was the only mimer that wasn't dotted. So this is the last one. After this, Mashiach can come already, because we dotted all the Memorum. Right? So that means everything is available to learn. And we won't be upset if he comes before we learn it, in the next two minutes. And the shit will be canceled, because we're going to be dancing and singing and having a lot of l'chaims and having a good time because Mashiach came. Okay, so this is what we're learning. Six days, you should eat matzah. On the seventh day, this is talking about, this is a pasuk in Parshas Re'e. Um, the mitzvah of of matzah and the mitzvah of Pesach is mentioned in many times in the Torah. And um, one, of course, is in Parshas Bo, where it talks about the actual exodus of going out of Mitzrayim. And the Torah gives a lot of laws in regards to matzah. Then it is repeated again in Parshas Emor, where the Torah gives us instructions of all the holidays. And then in Parshas Re'ei, which is in Devarim, which we read in the summer, there's a review on the laws of the holidays, including the laws of Pesach, including the laws of Chametz and Matzah. But we find certain differences, certain what we might think is discrepancies or contradictions between one place and the other ones that the sages need to reconcile. So one of the things that it says in in the differences that is described in, in uh, what's it called again, in, um, in Parshas Re'ei, different than in Parshas Boi or Parshas Emor. Let me get a chumish that's got. Okay. One of the differences is that in um, Parshas Boy, for instance, I'm looking right now, it says, Shivas Yamim Matzah is Seven days you should eat matzahs. Like we know, Pesach is seven days. We, outside of the land of Israel, added an extra day, so we have it for eight days. But essentially, Pesach is seven days. The first day is a holiday. The last day is a holiday. And the medium middle days are what we call the intermediate days, which are like chalamoid. Uh, You're allowed to do certain things. 
certain things are forbidden. Anyway, so this is um, so seven days holidays, and we know that we're not allowed to eat chametz for seven days, and we know that what do we eat? We eat matzah. So it says over here, shivas yamim matzis techelu. Fine. This is in Parshas Boy, Parshas Emor, which is the second time the laws of the holiday of, of Pesach is repeated. So over here, when it talks about the holidays, it says shivas yamim matzis techelu. Seven days you should eat matzah. Okay, two times in the Torah it says seven days you should eat matzah. Now we continue on to Parshas Re'eh. And over there it says, oh, So here it says like this. You should shech the carbon Pesach. And then it says, You shouldn't eat chametz. Seven days you should eat matzahs. So here it also says, Seven days eat matzahs. Lechem oini, poor man's bread. Because in a rush, you left the land of Egypt. Fine. But then, in Pasuk Ches, a few Pesukim further, it says, Six days you should eat matzah. So this is the only time that the Torah changes it from seven days to six days. And it tells you six days you should eat matzah. And on the seventh day, Atzeres Lashem it is a day of withholding for God. Atzeres means absorption or withholding for God, your God. You shouldn't do any work. So we need to understand how come suddenly over here it says six days you should eat matzah and not seven days. When all the other places it says seven days. Now by the way, the sages learn out of here. We're going to learn the mystical aspect behind it. But the sages, of course, notice this. And they taught us a very important talach that there is no obligation to eat matzah during the entire Pesach. You only have an obligation to eat matzah the first night. The rest of Pesach, you're not allowed to eat chametz. But if you want to eat fruits and vegetables, go ahead. You don't have to eat matzah. Only the first night you have an obligation to eat matzah. Now there's a technical problem with that. And that is that the first day and the last day is yomtiv. Yomtiv, you need to wash. You have to eat a meal. Once you need a wash, you can't, you can't wash on anything else but on matzah. Now, but technically you could get around that. So you would have to eat matzah anyways. But you wouldn't have, first of all, you wouldn't have to eat the intermediate days. There's no obligation to have a meal. Sudas, you're not allowed to fast. But you don't have an obligation to have a washing meal during chalamayim. Right? On the media, intermediate days. Only the first day and the last day. Fine. Secondly, you could technically get past washing and not eating matzah because there's a certain type of matzah that is made called matzah ashira. Matzah ashira is not kosher for the mitzvah of matzah because it's not a poor man's bread. 
it's matzah that's made instead of with water, it's made with juice, fruit juice. You put apple juice, like certain doughs they make with different, uh, with, with different juice so that it's not, right? It's not hamotzi when you have a mizonos thing, right? So that's because it's made with juice instead of with water. So that kind of matzah is called a wealthy matzah, matzah shira, a rich matzah. And it's not a poor matzah. You can't fulfill the mitzvah of matzah on it, but technically you can wash on it, and it's called a meal, and it's birkat amazon. So you would. But anyways, the sages say, how do we know this law? In three places it says explicitly, the Torah says seven days you should eat matzah. In three in three pasukim, there is only one pasuk, one pasuk where the Torah says six days you should eat matzah. But always it says seven. So how do you know that you don't obligate it to eat matzah all the time? All seven days. The answer is, the sages point to this pasuk. Sits in one place, it takes six days. The fact that it, it now took the last day out. First it said seven days eat matzah. Then the Torah pulled the blanket off the last day. That the last day does not have to eat matzah because it says only six days you should eat matzah. So you know that the last day, it's not an, it's not an obligation to eat matzah. Shvi shel Pesach, the seventh day of Pesach, it's not an obligation to eat matzah. Good. Okay, only the seventh. But the rule is, one of the ways we expound in the Torah is, that kol davar shahoya bechlau, when something was included in a certain general principle, there are certain methods that were handed down from God to Moshe, on how we're supposed to learn Torah and how we're supposed to extrapolate ideas. And the rabbis had a tradition. We say it every day before Hodu and Davening, 13 methods in which you, in which you expound on Torah. We can't, meaning when God provided us with the Torah, He also provided us the instruments of how to create Torah Shabalpeh from Torah Shabiksav, how to create the oral law from the written law. Okay? So one of the ways is a principle as follows. When there is a general rule which says, everybody has to come tomorrow 3 o'clock to my house. Who's everybody? Everybody. And then I say, yeah, I clued it up. Then I say, Yankul, you don't have to come. Once you took, now initially Yankul was included. Because I said everybody. And Yankul is part of everybody. The fact that I later took plucked Yaakov out from the rule, guess what? The entire rule collapses. Everybody can approach and say, do I have to come? Do I? Didn't you say everybody? No. Once there was an exclusion, once someone that was included became pulled out of that general rule, he topples the entire rule. So everything is now removed. So why didn't the Torah say first a general rule and they get out? It's a good question. So once you have the seventh day been pulled out, first it was included, because it says explicitly three times, seven days eat matzah. But then the seventh day was taken out because it said six days you should eat matzah. So, the, so that one extraction causes the entire mitzvah to be removed from all the days of Pesach. If so, then you don't have to eat matzah at all on Pesach. You're just not allowed to eat chametz. Why eat matzah? So the sages say, there is another pasuk that says, one more pasuk that says, Bo'erev tochlu matzahis. In the evening you should eat matzah. That teaches you that the first night is the only time when you have an obligation to eat matzah. First night. A little bit Talmudic discussion. 
Okay, that's how the Gemara builds up. This idea, it's so amazing. Like all the things that we take, we take for granted as part of Jewish practice and the way we do things. We realize that there was so much discussion back and And it's so amazing if someone is able to once learn, when you learn well, and you learn how halacha gets constructed from these various different stages of contradictions and things and this and how it built to this and how it built to this and how it trickled down through the generations to become this is the way it's done, this is the way it's learned out, this is the right way of doing it. But anyways, this is what the sages do. We're however going to learn this now from a mystical point. How come the Torah says seven days you should eat matzah? Because this, this, well, this only explains what the halacha is, but it doesn't explain. So why did the Torah then confuse us? First say seven days eat matzah. Then the Torah says six days eat matzah. If the Torah only wanted you to eat matzah six days, it should only say six days. And what we're saying now is the Torah didn't even obligate you to eat matzah even for the six days either, only the first night. So it's really confusing. So we're going to learn over here a fascinating idea. Why the Torah changes from seven days to eat matzah, and then it says the sixth day, six days you should eat matzah, not the seventh day. But I'll leave you in suspense to find out why. It's an amazing answer. But the Alter Rebbe says why it doesn't say, and, 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 and how come, he's an amazing thing, how come in three places in the Torah, it does ab- kind of imply that the seventh day is part of Pesach, in which we eat matzah. Only in one place it says differently. Sheishas Yamim, six days and not the seventh. And Parshas Re'e. Just one second. Only in one place it tells you six days and not the seventh. Yes, please. Well, mm-hmm. Now, why does not one? Now, why does it one? But why does the Torah set it that way? That it, that, it, that it makes. What's the difference of how come in three places it says seven days you should eat matzah, and one place it says six days? Not halachically, because halachically we worked that out already, but based on the rules. But in concept, why is the Torah doing that? Um, the other difference is, other interesting thing. What's unique in Parshas Re'eh is when it speaks about Shvi Shel Pesach, which is the seventh days of Pesach, it says that on the seventh day, Atzeres Lashem Elokecha. This is a Atzeres. Atzeres means it is a a day of gathering, but it's a day of gathering for God. In other words, we congregate on that day, we don't do any work, everybody pulls away from whatever you're doing. Atzeres means to remove, hold yourself back from everything else that you're doing. Come gather together. For what purpose? For God. For Hashem, you're God. You're, you're congregating for God. Now this idea of Atzeres, the Torah uses, the Torah calls, now technically, every holiday is an Atzeres. Not only is every holiday an Atzeres, every Shabbos is a form of Atzeres. Because Shabbos, you're withholding from doing work, you're pulling back. Atzeres means contract. Contract into yourself, pull back. Every Shabbos. Okay, Shabbos we're not going to talk. Holidays are really technically all called, should be called Atzeres. Yet, the Torah refers to only three holidays as Atzeres. What are the three holidays that are called Atzeres? So we're all familiar with the words Shmini Atzeres. Shmini Atzeres is the eighth day of Sukkos. The eighth, eighth day of Sukkos is called Shmini Atzeres. So you got the word Atzeres. Um, another one that's called Atzeres 
is the sages referred to, it doesn't say explicitly in the Torah, but this in, in Talmudic language, in Talmudic terminology, the one holiday that's called Atzeres is Shavuos. In, say, in, the, in, in Talmudic language, Pesach is called Pesach. Shavuos is called Atzeres, not Shavuos. Whenever this Talmud discusses Shavuos, it discusses it as Atzeres. And Sukkis is not called Sukkis. Sukkis is called Chag. The regular, whenever it says in the, in the Gemara, Chag, Bachag, on Chag, even though every Chag is, every holiday is called a Chag, Chag Sameach, but it refers to Sukkis. So you see that for whatever reason, Shavuos got the name Atzeres. Now there's one interesting explanation why Shavuos is called Atzeres. is because every other holiday has certain mitzvahs, certain commandments that apply to the holiday. Pesach, you eat, you eat first of all, this carbon Pesach, but you have matzah and, and a seder, you have a, a lot of mitzvahs. Sukkot, you eat in a sukkah, and you shake the lulav, so you have other mitzvahs. Shavuos doesn't have any mitzvah. Besides not doing work on Shavuos, you have no commandment. Everything else is minhag. Eating cheesecake is a minhag. Being up all night is a minhag, and studying is a minhag. Or putting branches, flowers, all that's a minhag. There is no, there is no commandment in Shavuos besides for not doing work. That's, why, that's what atzeres means, holding back. That's why Shavuos is the one that's called atzeres. Oh, so, but, after, but at the conclusion of everything, we find three holidays. Okay, wait, so I gave you two so far. What are the two that are called atzeres? Shmini atzeres and Shavuos is called atzeres. But also Pesach, but not the beginning of Pesach. The second day of Pesach, the last day, the second holiday of Pesach, Shvi Shel Pesach. Because by Shvi Shel Pesach, the Torah says Atzeres. Atzeres, it should be an Atzeres. However, what's interesting is that by the other holidays, whenever it says Atzeres, by Shmini Atzeres, for instance, it says Atzeres Yie Lochem. It should be an Atzeres for your sake. Atzeres yia lochem. It should be an atzeres for yourselves. However, when it... And by uh, Sukkis, I'm sorry, by Shavuos, it doesn't say at all atzeres. It's only what the sages say atzeres. It doesn't say. But in Chumash, by Shmini atzeres, it says atzeres tia lochem. I'm going to read it. I'm going to find you the Pasuk soon. However, when it comes to Pesach, it says... In one place, atzeres tia lochem, to you. But in another place, in this pasuk, where it says six days you should eat matzah, in that pasuk it says, atzeres la shem elokecha, a gathering for God your God. So what you're getting over here is, that the one place that it says it's an atzeres, not just an atzeres, but it's an atzeres for God, is by shvishel pesach. Let's look inside. See, what we're going to have to look is in Parshas Emor. It's the Parsha in a few weeks from now. Okay, so let's see where it says Atzeres. So when it comes to Shavuos, Pesach, hold it. Bayoim Ashvi, oh no. So Bayoim Ashvi, it says, Mikra Kodesh, Kamalachas Avoidolat. It doesn't say at all Atzeres. In Emor, it doesn't say at all Atzeres. 
Bar and Parshas Boy. Hold it. Give me, give me. Give me. I'm gonna find all the we'll find all the psukim over here. Make sure we get this really right. Okay. Barishain. Oh, Bayoy Marisha Mikra Kaidesh. On the first day is a day of a calling of holiness. Bayoy Mashvi Mikra Kaidesh Yelachem. A calling of holiness should be to you. It doesn't say Atzeres. So not in Boy and not in Emor. Let's see if it says in regards to Shavuos. What does it say in regards to Shavuos? Um, no, by Shavuos it doesn't even say Atzeres. Let's go to Sukkis. When it comes to Sukkis, it says, interesting, in regards to Sukkis, oh, they craft them ik isha lashem, atzeres hi. So this is the first time it says the word atzeres. And it says it by Sukkis in Parshas Emor. It says atzeres hi, it doesn't say for anybody, it just says atzeres hi, it is an atzeres. You can't do work. Okay? Hold on. Now, now we go to Parshas Re'eh. Parshas Re'eh is the second time we have the Parsha of the Mayad. And now if you know, if you notice that on all three pilgrimage holidays, we keep on splitting the reading every time from... Emar and Re'eh, because these are the two parshas where the Torah talks about the holidays. So in parshas Re'eh, in the by the Yantif, it says, let me give you over here. Let's start with the first Yantif. In regards to Pesach, it says, Sheishes Yamim Toichal Matzois. So you got atzeres, but remember, notice here, it's the first time lashem elokecha. It's atzeres for God. By Shavuos, it says nothing. Doesn't say atzeres. Just says it should be a holiday. Chag Shavuos. By Sukkis. By Sukkis, hold on. Shivas Yama, no. So I'm wait. I'm, I'm a little confused over here. I'm looking. Where does it say Atzeres Tialochem? So that's the only one I'm missing over here. Where does it say Atzeres? Shivas Yama, so where does it say Atzeres? Now I'm holding. There's one. There's one place where it says Atzeres Tialochem. Not Atzeres plain, and it's not by. I thought it was being Re'eh by Sukkis. It's interesting. Re'eh it doesn't even mention an eighth day for Sukkis. It just says Shivas Yamim. Doesn't mention at all an eighth day. Wow, so that's a that's a shocker. One more place I can check, and that's in Parshas Pinchas where it talks about the Musafs of all the holidays. I think that's the key. I think we're going to get to it. We're going to get to the bottom of this. Okay, give me just one minute.
אוקיי. יהיה לכם ביום הביקורים. Oh, yay. Beyoyim HaShmini, on the eighth day of Sukkot, Atzeres Tia Lochem. We got it. Okay? It's important, because everybody hears these words. So now, so what do we have so far? Um, by Pesach, it says, Atzeres LaShem Elokecha, and by Sukkot, it says, Atzeres Tia Lochem. So the interesting thing is, this is what he begins with in the discourse, is what he's going to the what he's going to bring out from here is an amazing thing. That the reason why it says six days you should eat matzah, and not seven days you should eat matzah, in parshas re'eh, and that's associated with the idea that in parshas re'eh it says not atzeres tia lochem. But Those two things go together. I want you to hear this. It's, it's very special. These two ideas, the fact that we find that the only place in regards to Pesach where it says Atzeres, and it says Atzeres Tia Lashem Elokecha, it says over there as well that you should only eat matzah six days. The seventh day, Atzeres Tia Lashem Elokecha. Atzeres Lashem Elokecha. And Atzeres to God. Okay. Now there's one more unique thing that is mentioned in the very same Pasuk. We all know what differentiates holidays from Shabbos. One of the things that differentiates... No, 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 before we do that. What difference is it if it says, Atzeres Tia Lochem, or if it says, Atzeres Tia Lashem Elokecha? What really difference is it technically? So again, halachically, there is this a discussion about it. What's the discussion? The discussion is, on Yantiv, do you have to celebrate Yantiv with a physical participation? Or can you make your Yantiv totally spiritual? There's a question about it. The sages ask, the sages ask a contradiction. Since it says by Yantiv, Atzeres, it is a gathering. But in one place it says, Tia Lochem which means it should be a gathering for your sake. Simply it means for your sakes, for you to enjoy. So you should have a nice roast, good food, celebrate, enjoy the holiday. Another place it says, by Shvishel Pesach, Atzeres Lashem Elokecha. It's an Atzeres for God. Implying that you're gathering, you're holding back and not, and getting involved. And what, what's the point of it, of this gathering? It's only for Hashem. So the sages say which one? So there's two opinions. One opinion is you have a choice on all the holidays. You can either do, d- dedicate the entire holiday only to God. You can, you're allowed to fast. Learn, daven, celebrate your connection to God, celebrate your yantiv by a day devoted to spiritual connection to Hashem. Or if you want, you can make the entire holiday all for yourself. Physical Eat, drink, be happy. God says anyway, but celebrate. Celebrate spiritually, celebrate spiritually any way you want. And there's another opinion, the one that is accepted in halacha, that we have to do both. 
that Yomtiv, you're obligated to daven, to learn, to spend more time in. And the sages say, Chetzil Hashem, half to God. The Chetzil Hashem and half to you. All right? That, that's what the sages discuss. But it's interesting. By which one? Now, even though we, we, say, we apply it to everyone, and even Pesach, seventh day of Pesach, the halacha is, you're not allowed to fast, and you have to have a meal. You can't say, Atzeres l'ashem elokech. Yet, we have to understand why the Torah chose to say it by Pesach. By the seventh day of Pesach, not the first day. By the seventh day of Pesach, the Torah chose to say, Atzeres tiyeh l'ashem elokecho, that means that very spiritual holiday, only on the seventh day of Pesach. Even though halachically, again, what it says by one applies to all of them. But it's stated by that one. There is a reason for that. Third idea. And that is what differentiates Yamt, as I started saying earlier. What differentiates Yamtiv from Shabbos in general? Both of them are days you're not allowed to do any work. But everybody knows that on Yamtiv you're allowed to cook food. You're allowed to do all malacha that is related to food preparation. Things that are not as good if you did them on Erev Yamtiv. Like cooking, baking, all these things are allowed to be done on Yamtiv. But on Shabbos you're not allowed to do them. It's called Ochel Nefesh. All Malacha that's called Malacha. And the reason for that is, because by Shabbos it says, Loisase Kol Malacha. You're not allowed to do any work. Any work. By Yom Kippur it also says, Loisase Kol Malacha. You're not allowed to do any work. By all, all other holidays, it says, Kol Meleches Avoda Loisase. Every work that's toil, every laborous work, What's that extra word, laborous work? <coughs> it's coming to tell you that food preparation is allowed. The extra word, avoida, meleches avoda, telling you what type of work you're not allowed to do is meleches avoda. That teaches you that what? Cooking is allowed. Food preparation is allowed. Now, isn't it interesting? There is one place in the Torah, in the same Pasuk, Parshas Re'eh, where it tells which which is such a strange pasuk. Number one, it said six days you should eat matzah, not seven days. Secondly, that's the pasuk that says it should be atzeres for who? Lashem elokecha. And the last thing is it says kol melacha loisase kol melacha. You're not allowed to do any work. It doesn't say meleches avoda. By shvishel pesach in parshas Re. Now. Shvishel Pesach, you are allowed to cook. Why? Because other place by Shvishel Pesach and the other Pesukim it says Meleches Avoda. But on this one place in Parshas Re'eh, it says Loi Sase. Oh, let me read it from it just to make we get it right. Oh, Sheishes Yomim Toichal Matzis. Let's read the whole pasuk. Six days you should eat Matzis. Ubayoyim Ashvi Atzeres Lashem Elokecha. Loisasa melacha, you're not allowed to do work. It doesn't say melacha samod. Which would imply that on the seventh day of Passover, you're not allowed to do any work, even cooking. But again, that's not halacha. Because since other places, by Shmishel Pesach, where it tells you to eat matzah for seven days, on those psukim it says, melacha samod, you're not allowed to do work of toil. But other work, but, but work of food, you are allowed. Only here. Why not? Why is this different? Manashtana. I'm asking the Manashtana. I have three questions. I don't have four questions. 
I have three questions. What makes Shvishel Pesach and Parshas Re'eh so different that in, 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 that in those places, in, that in that Pasuk, it speaks about six days eating matzah, doesn't mention the seventh day on Pesach to eat matzah. Number two, it makes it different that on that day, it says it should be a gathering for God, which would imply, let's understand, what would it imply? That you can make it completely spiritual, you can fast on Shvishel Pesach. And third point, why is this Yom Tiv different? That by this Yom Tiv on Shvishel Pesach, the Torah seems to imply that you're not allowed to do any work, even work of baking. Now let's put on the Alter Rebbe's glasses, the glasses of a man who sees everything, he, he, he cracks open a Pasuk and sees the godly, infinite light that the world was, that preceded creation in the Torah. So when he takes a look at this verse, he sees something that no one would have ever found. And he emphasizes, it's just so simple, but so rich and so unbelievable. And the idea is just a simple idea. When we went through the, what happened on Shvishel Pesach? We went through the, the Yamsuf. We crossed the sea. We sang Shira. We sang the famous Shira Sayam. And on the Shira Sayam, we sang, we said one Pasuk. Ad Yavar Amcha Hashem. Ad Yavar Amzu Kanisa. We said, we asked God, cast upon them a fear until your nation, until God, your nation will cross. Ad Yavar, until they will cross, Amzu, this people, Kanisa, that you have acquired. It mentions two times, Ad Yavar, Ad Yavar. So from here the Alter Rebbe says, it's, you see clearly that what? That, we're gonna, that we've crossed a body of water once, but we're going to cross again. There's two crossings. And both of them happened on Shvishel Pesach. One was the crossing when we crossed in the past. There's going to be another crossing that's going to happen when Mashiach comes. Ad Yavar, Ad Yavar. There's another Pesach. It says, um, uh, that's the Pesach, give me a second. In a minute. Oh, Hafach Yam Liabasha. I think it's a Pasuk in Tehillim. Hafach Yam Liabasha. God turned the sea into dry land. Banohar in the river Yavru, they will cross Baregel with their feet. Sham nismach then they will rejoice in him. Hafach yamli abasha, he turned the sea into dry land, that's talking by the Red Sea. When we went out of Egypt, God split the sea. Banor yavru baregel, in the river we will cross. That's talking about the future. Because one of the prophecies, it says in Yeshaya and Isaiah, when it talks about Mashiach, it says that Mashiach is going to wave his hand over the river. And he's going to split the, re- the river in seven passageways. And the Jews will cross through the river, whatever that river is. And over there we'll, we will rejoice with him. We will reach the ultimate rejoicing. And guess what the amazing thing is? Just like we crossed the, the sea on Shvishel Pesach, we will cross the river also on Shvishel Pesach. 
When the Jews sang Shira then, they were including already the future crossing, which is going to happen in the future. Spiritually, the first crossing of the river was spectacular godly revelation. The first crossing of the sea. Spectacular godly revelation. Unbelievable. But peanuts, literally peanuts, in comparison to the godly revelation that is going to be when we cross the river. Because the river is infinitely higher than the, than, the, than the sea. The sea is created from the river. A lot of rivers flow into the sea. The sea represents a much lower level of spirituality that we crossed into than the river does. It's a much higher level. We will cross a river. Once we cross the river, Shvishel Pesach is going to be a different kind of holiday. We have Shvishel Pesach today, and we have the Shvishel Pesach of the future. What the Alter Rebbe says, Parshas Re'eh, Re'eh means vision. I'm, I added that, that he doesn't say. But why? In Parshas Re'eh, on that last Pasuk, the Torah is talking, is hinting to the Shvishel Pesach that's going to be after the coming of Mashiach. That Shvishel Pesach, when we're going to be celebrating the crossing, but it's not going to be memory of the crossing of the sea, it's going to be the crossing of the river. Levels of divinity and levels of godliness are going to open up so deep and so high that we're going to be far past eating and even eating matzah. Matzah means poor man's bread. It means, poor man means there's a certain katnus, there's a certain uh, 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 poverty. The sages say there's, that real poorness and richness is poorness of a mind. Ain ani elabadas. When a person is lacking enlightenment, when they're lacking knowledge and awareness, that's called poverty. Eating matzah is a poor, because we're still in, a, we're still in an immature state. We're still in a childish state. And we don't know. So we learn that matzah feeds us with godliness, but it's, it's, in a, it's still on a level of immaturity. So that's why we eat matzah. In today's Pesach, we have to eat matzah even on Shvishel Pesach. Because the crossing of the sea did not take us past the matzah experience yet. Only the crossing of the river that's going to happen after Mashiach comes, we're going to be past matzah. Not only are we going to be past matzah, but we're going to be past the entire experience of eating in general. Because when it says, because the whole point of eating is, a, is, a, is, a, is, is part of the refinement. We refine the world. Whoever listened to my last week Monday night class, we spoke about one of the main objectives in life is to eat. God created us to be consumers. We're all consumers of the physical materials. We have to con- eat because that's the only way we can make a tikkun in the universe. Because we take the animal, the vegetable, the inanimate, we absorb it all in the human experience and we elevate it. We bring it into a connection to God. Right? But once Mashiach comes, we've done all the purifications already. And everything is already purified. There's no point to eating anymore. Not only that, the pleasure that we're going to experience then is pure, 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 essential, infinite, godly pleasure that is not enclosed in any other pleasure. Today's days, we also have a very high spirit. See, Shabbos, it's a mitzvah to eat. And it's not only a mitzvah to eat on Shabbos, it's a mitzvah to eat good food on Shabbos. And not only is it a mitzvah to eat good mood, it's a mitzvah to have pleasure from the food on Shabbos. Why? Because the ple- usually pleasure of food is a lowly, coarse thing. It's something that animals also do. There's nothing, there's nothing sophisticated by it. 
Something that it's one of our weaknesses as humans is that we enjoy food and we enjoy pleasure. But we all understand that that's not what man is all about. And there's nothing noble and high. And anybody in the world, uneducated, on anything, can, can pleasure, find pleasure in food. It's not like something that one has reached a high level. No one puts it in their big achievements that they have pleasure in food. But yet, but on Shabbos, we're told to have pleasure. Why? Because on Shabbos, when you're having pleasure in the food, embedded and enclosed in the physical pleasure is a, a pleasure that your soul is experiencing the, this pleasure of the divine. Literally, your soul. And here's the interesting thing. Your soul cannot experience that godly, the godly pleasure, pleasure of Hashem, without the food. Because God is enclosing that spiritual pleasure in physicality. Shabbos, the food is holy. In the weekdays, the food is not holy, and we have to be very careful with food. Because food can cause us to, be, even if it's kosher, food can cause us to become very coarse, and very self-centered, and very disconnected from our purpose, and from a, a, a godly consciousness. Food has to be done in a very careful manner. We have to make a bracha. We're supposed to eat mindfully, be very conscious of why we're eating, what's the purpose, and then we're lucky, the food does not coarsen us. That's during the week. Shabbos, the food is holy. And when you're eating the food, you're connecting to great spiritual pleasure. But it's only a ray of the divine pleasure that could be enclosed in something physical. It says, however, when Mashiach will come, and not only after Mashiach, there's Mashiach, and then there is what's called after the resurrection, a while after Mashiach, called the world to come where all souls from heaven are going to come back down, and our bodies are also going to be recycled in the earth quickly. I don't know, maybe we've gone through already all whatever we needed, and we don't have to be going the earth again, but we're going to be resurrected, and the bodies are going to be at the highest level of purity. Today I saw a very fascinating Zohar. Just a beautiful idea. And the Zohar says, talking about Akedas Yitzchak, and the Zohar says that um, just like when a person takes takes um, earth, it takes silver, fine silver. You have to put the silver in a, and the silver is mixed with earth. So you put it in a fire, and the fire separates the earth from the silver. Good, you do that. You put it in the fire, and you heat it up, you do the extraction, the silver separates from the earth. Fine. But then, after you already have the silver, you take a look at the silver and you know that deep inside the silver there are certain sediments. It's not pure. It's after you remove the earth. There's already the stools. You put it back for a second purification. And then after you put it through the fire a second time, then you have pure, pure silver. So the Zohar says, and a fascinating thing, God created our bodies and it's a mixture of good and bad since the sin of the Chet of the Eitz Adas. It's a mixture of good and bad. The first purification is the body goes in the earth. It separates the junk from the good. And then when we're resurrected, it's the silver and there's no earth. But that's not enough. That's one tarvet. There's a little bit left over from the original body. Maloy tarvet, a little bit of earth, that's the original body. But inside that, there's still mixed impurities. There is going to be such a powerful godly revelation that is going to bring such fear to the world that everybody's going to run into caves and into tunnels from the fear of God's might. That's going to be the second purification. And all junk is going to come out. 
And only after that are we going to have the ultimate bodies that can live on for all eternity. It's an amazing piece of Zohar. What it means, do we have to be scared now about that great fear that's going to cause us all to disintegrate somehow from the fear of God? I would suggest to everybody that we don't have to have that fear. Let's just be happy that Mashiach is coming and we'll, let, we'll take things, um, we'll take things uh, piece by piece. One, one piece at a time, one shot at a time. But this is the idea. This is the idea. That um, after Mashiach comes, and after Tchiyas HaMesim, when we are going to have finally, 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 our ultimate bodies, the most refined bodies. So what do the sages say? What kind of experience is going to be in Tchiyas HaMesim? They say, Olam Haba, the world to come, Ein boy, there isn't in it, lo yachila, no eating, v'lo yishtia, and not drinking, elat tzadikim yoishvim, tzadikim sit, v'nehenin, and they delight, miziva shechina, from the radiance of the shechin. How does, so that means, that there's no eating and drinking, that means that the physically, we're going to have physical bodies, physically our bodies are going to be nurtured, through the spiritual delight of godly glow. So, uh, so what is explained, however? It's explained a very deep idea. That the pleasure of today's days, we're also, we thrive on pleasure. Pleasure is, keeps us living. But today's days, godly pleasure is enclosed and enclosed and enclosed and enclosed in so many different things until it comes down to physical pleasure, the physical food. During the weekday, there's a lot of klipa. A lot of unholiness mixed in that pleasure. On Shabbos, we get pure godly pleasure through the Shabbos food. But yet, how are we experiencing the divine? Couched and concealed and embedded and enclosed in physicality. But pure spiritual pleasure, pure divine pleasure, we don't have. When Mashiach will come... We're going to experience God's pleasure not enclosed in anything. And you know what that is? Because it's not a ray. It's not a ray of His pleasure. It's it's the essence of the divine pleasure. It's endless pleasure. The closest we come to that is Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is a day of Ein Bo'i Lo Yachilo. We don't eat and we don't drink. According to Hasidus, the real reason why we don't do that on Yom Kippur is because Yom Kippur, we're already, we move ahead of time. We move in. We get a little taste of after the resurrection, when the body will thrive, it will live in ecstasy. The real experience of Yom Kippur is supposed to be, not I'm hungry, whatever, Yom Kippur is supposed to be, we're just standing, we just have a full 24 hours or 26 hours when we're absorbed in godly pleasure, of the closeness with Hashem. The ultimate experience of that is going to be after Tchiyas HaMezim, but when? When we cross that river. And when is the crossing of the river going to be? After on Shvi Shel Pesach. That's the reason why in all places whenever it talks about Shvi Shel Pesach in the rest of the Chumash, it says seven days you should eat matzah. It doesn't say six days. Number two, it says what atzeres, what kind of an atzeres should it be? I'm going to answer all questions we asked before. What kind of an atzeres should it be? Atzeres lachem. It's it's it, atzeres lachem means we said before the regular atzeres. 
it means that you, 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 have, to, you have to take care of your body. Atzeres. It's an atzeres. It's a feed. Lachem for you. And it also says, So what kind of work are we not allowed to do? What kind of malacha are we not allowed to do? The work we're not allowed to do is the work of, 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 of laborious work. But preparing food, food preparation, we're allowed. Because today's days on Shri Shal Pesach, we eat. And, and including in, that, in the food that we eat is the food of matzah, which matzah is called lechem oni. It's, it's a certain constricted food. It's a food of katno samoychen. It's the immature mind. Because we're not holding yet by gadlo samoychen, even on Shri Shal Pesach. Even after having the revelations of the Yamsuf, we're still considered in Katno Samoichen, in this constricted state. So we're allowed, we're allowed to eat, and you have to, because you're allowed to, you have to make the body happy through it, through food. But when it says in Parshas Re'eh, only one Pasuk, six days you should eat matzah, not the seventh day, because Shri Shal Pesach is a day already related to crossing that river, the second crossing. And that river is going to take us to a place where what? Where there's no more katna samoich and there's no more matzah. Not only is there no more matzah, there's no more eating at all. And because of that, it, doesn't, it says you're not allowed to do any work. It doesn't say only, 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 only of food. There's no reason why food preparation should be permitted. Because we're past food. It's already like Yom Shekule Shabbos. It's on a whole different level. And then finally... And finally, that's the reason why it says Atzeres Lashem Elokecha. It should be an Atzeres for God, implying that the day can be totally spiritual. Because that's what it's going to be like. It doesn't have any physicality. Or the physical and the spiritual are, are completely on the same level. There's no reason for physicality. And the physical can be nurtured from the spiritual. One thing he doesn't say over here, but he mentions it. He mentions it in the, in the other corresponding discourse that I mentioned earlier that's nine pages long, and we're learning one that's a half a page. So there he says, Gvald, he says something unbelievable. He says that in Yom Kippur we said, which is the other day that we reach that point of no eating and no drinking? Which is the day? We, is Yom Kippur. And what do we do on Yom Kippur? One of the things we do on Yom Kippur is we remove the shoes. Ne'ilah sasandal, you're not allowed to wear shoes. So we all, we all have really, really cool Yom Kippur shoes. Crocs and all kinds of really new inventions. But really the idea is there's no shoes. Yom Kippur there's no shoes. What's the, what's the idea that we remove the shoes? Remove the shoes is idea, is as follows. We know that there is a malach that's called malach sandal. Malach sandal. Sandalfein. Sandal. He's the sandal malach. In Hebrew, it's called sandalfein. Basically, that's the malach in charge of Olam Habriya. This there's, three, there's four worlds. Olam Atzilut, the world of emanation. And from after, the world of Atzilut, the world of emanation, begins the creation stage. So Olam Habriya, Olam HaYetzira, and finally Olam HaAsiya. So the sandal represents the malach. I, I, didn't, I don't remember exactly, I'm going to look again. If it's the malach in Olam HaBriya or in Olam HaYetzira. It's one of the two. Um... He is called, um, that's called sandal. Why is he called sandal? Because just like shoes are made out of tough, thick clothing in general are made out of finer materials, right? And the ones that fit on the body and they're more expressive of the body. Shoes is heavy material, thicker material. So 
um, it represents something coarse. From Olam Ayatsira, or maybe even from Olam Abriya, we're dealing already with coarseness. So it represents that aspect of our being that's coarse. Yom Kippur, since it's such a holy day, and God is inviting us into a place so deep and so high, what do we have to do? We have to remove the shoes, which means we have to remove the sandal element. We have to disconnect from our lower part to allow our higher being to soar up. It's one of the reasons we do call Nidre right at the beginning of Yom Kippur, we untie the bonds. Nidre means a nether, means a bond. In order to allow yourself to take off into the spiritual world of Yom Kippur, you have to untie all that that is locking you down. First thing you do is you don't bring your cell phone in Shul and Yom Kippur. So that's already the first bond that keeps us so bonded and attached to the world. So you don't do that. In addition to that, you disconnect from everything. Every Shabbos, really, we disconnect from the world. and Yom Tov, we disconnect to the world. But we don't disconnect completely because we're allowed to eat. And we're allowed to, we have other physical things that we do. But Yom Kippur, we completely remove ourselves from all material and physical existence. We become like an angelic being. We soar into Yom Kippur, into the highest place. But particularly we take off our shoes, which means that part of us is, is not yet refined. However, on Shvishel Pesach, when Mashiach is going to come, as a result of thousands of years of, of Torah and mitzvahs in the world, that's already going to be the end of days. That's going to be already when we complete all refining process. And therefore, we're going to have already refined even the sandal, even the shoe. So an amazing thing, when it talks about in Yeshaya Anavi, when it talks about crossing the river after Mashiach comes, it's an amazing thing. It says, Veheinif Yadayalanar. Mashiach is going to lift his hand over the river. Veiko, and he's going to split it, Lashiva Nachalim, into seven pathways. This is the river, the crossing of that great godly revelation that's going to be after Mashiach comes. And hear what the next words are. V'hidrich, he's going to lead us through, V'hidrich, we're going to stab Bana'olim with shoes. We're not going to remove our shoes to go into that experience of that great transcendental pleasure of Yom Kippur, of that high, but we're going to go dafka with our shoes. Because the whole idea, else you wonder, why does the Torah have to emphasize that you're going to cross over with your shoes? Shoes not. And does the Torah, you're going to go with your socks? you of course, I mean, people are growing. No, but the, but the emphasis is dafka with the shoes. That the crossing of the river is going to be together with the most physical side of us is also going to be coming along because everything is going to be already purified. So all of existence is going to be ready to be makabal, the orein soif, the infinite light, without any, without any, um, without any, uh, what do you call, static. Like when sometimes you get a reception, it's bad reception, the static, there's no static because everything has become so refined. And that's the difference for all these chilukim that we have mentioned. I just went and gave you a synopsis of the entire Mimer. And now we're going to learn it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna, to, inside it's going to go very quickly. Okay. So Sheishas Yomim Teichomatis. This is at the beginning of page 30. Sheishas Yomim. Only on this class can you come an hour after the shear starts and still come before the shear began. No? I think it's a, it's a novelty. Sheishas Yomim, only by introduction. Sheishas Yomim Teichel Matzah, six days you should eat matzahs. Ubayoyim Ashvian on the seventh day, Hatzeres Lashem Alokecha. It should be in Hatzeres for Hashem. Loisasa Melacha, you shouldn't do any work, you see? Again, let's look, notice all the things. It doesn't say Melacha Savoda, 
It just says, Every yamtif, it says, Malachas Avoda. This is the only place it says, You're not allowed to do any work. And then, it says, doesn't say, Atzeres Lachem, Atzeres Lachem Elokech. And, and different than all the other places by when it says by seven days you should eat matzah. Remember, we, we went through the psukim. Pasha's boy, seven days you should eat matzah. Pasha's emmer, seven days you should eat matzah. Even in Pasha's re'eh, in the beginning it says seven days you should eat matzah. Only in the last pasuk, sheishas yamam teichel matzah. Strange. Okay, hinu matzinu, we find sheshloisha yamam toivim nikra atzeres. There are three yamam toivim that are called atzeres. Chag is called Atzeres, not in Chumash. Remember, we checked all the sources. Not in Chumash, but in Chazal, in the Lashon of Gemara, Shavuos is called Atzeres. Zaman Matan the day of Matan Shmini Atzeres. And then the Shmini, the eighth day of Sukkot, is called Atzeres. Shuzman Simchas which is the time of Simchas Torah. The Shvi Shal Pesach and Shvi Shal Pesach. And guess what? The Godol Mashanemar B'Shvi Shal Pesach. And it's greater the atzeres that is stated by Shvishel Pesach is greater more than what it says by all of them. Shanem boy because by them it says la'avaya elokecha. Only by, 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 by Shvishel Pesach does it say it's atzeres la'ashem elokecha. Ta'ashem your God. V'loi lochem. It doesn't say atzeres tia lochem kebishar yontif. Like it says by all the other yontif. Like we know by every, and how do the Chazal, what did we say earlier? How do Chazal, how do the sages reconcile? If you're gathering for God's sake, or you're gathering for your own sake, Lachem. So the sages say, they, the, the way they make, uh, they, they, they compromise is they say, half to Hashem, that's what we do. Half the day we go to Shul, we learn, we daven, and then half the time we go home, we have our Yom Tov Mio. So, But on Shvi Shel Pesach, Kiyem Kulay Lashem. Shvisha Pesach is the one time that can be totally forgot. And what's so special about this day? It's the day of the splitting of the sea. And what's so great about it? And the sages say that, the, that what was so great about the sea was that that was the time that the Jewish people collected the loot of the sea. The sages make a statement that the looting that went on on the seventh day on the, by the sea was much greater than the, loot, than the looting that took place when we went out of Egypt. Which is such a strange... You see how the sages have such deep secrets. Because when you read this Maimar Chazal simply, you're thinking about maybe what happened after uh, Hurricane Katrina or in uh, last year in... Uh, where was it? In... Uh, in uh, there, where, 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 where was it over there? Where they had the, 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 the shooting, and then everybody was protesting, and they were rioting with the police. Ferguson. Ferguson. So there, there was looting. They were breaking in and taking. When the sages say, when the Jews went out of the looting at the sea, was much greater than the loot, than the looting that happened when we went out of Egypt. Now, what does it mean looting? Looting simply means that Hashem commanded us that we should ask, ask the Egyptians for their gold and their silver. And they gave us, Hashem gave a special chen. It wasn't this kind of looting. It was Hashem gave the chen, the charm of the Jewish people in the eyes of the Egyptians. And they really owed it to us because of all the work that we did. And they didn't pay us for all those hundreds of years of labor. So now they gave, the sages say, the money we got by the sea was much more, because Rashi says, because when the Egyptians, they're, they're, they, what they did is they would, they would um, 
decorate their wagons, their chariots, and their, and their armor with gold, with, with jewels and gold and everything. It was part of their whatever, when they would go to war. So, and then later when they fell into the sea and their wagons and their chariots, and Hashem made that they were spit out. So all that loot, all that um, treasures were all sprawled out at the end of the sea. And the Jewish people went and they were taking all the gold and the silver. And it says there was so much over there and there was such a metziah. You know, you didn't like hopping metziahs. They're going to be great. So what happened was that Moshe Rabbeinu had to chase them away. They weren't, they weren't going to... It says, Vayasa Moshe. The words are not Vayisa. It says, Vayasa Moshe right after. Moshe had to literally push them to go on to the mid. They didn't want to go because they had so much to loot. So what is the meaning of this? What was the meaning of this? And the Jews became very wealthy. The idea is as follows. It, this was not just, it happens to be a nice thing that Hashem said, you know, let's give them the money. We know that the whole point that we were in Egypt was to elevate sparks of holiness. Everything in the world has sparks of holiness. And when Jews go to Gullus, to a certain nation, it's because of the Avaida of this extraction. We need to extract, we need to get the sparks of holiness out from the Klippa. And the spiritual sparks of holiness was extracted and as part of that extraction it was enclosed in the physical items that we took so when the Jewish people that's why Hashem says Daber no please please because what would be the, the, the what would be the whole point if we worked on extracting the gold from the schmutz and then after we finally extract all the gold from the dregs and from all the impurities after we're finished and we're done everything what happens we we um uh, we, leave, we, leave the, we, leave, we leave the gold and the silver on the table, and we all leave. Well, what would be the point of that? You, do, you did all the extraction, you're not taking it. It's insane, it's ridiculous. That's why Hashem is pleading, please take all that gold and silver. But the sages are saying that the elevation of the sparks that happens when we, that night, the first day of Pesach, when we left that night, the elevation of the sparks was so much greater by the answer. That was the completion of that extraction. And the Jewish people were enriched with the highest sparks of holiness. And we know an amazing thing. That the rule is in Kedusha that the lower something is, the darker something is, in, embedded inside of it, is a spark of holiness. The sparks that are in the lowest things come from the highest places. Because the way the sparks of holiness, mystically, Kabbalistically, according to the Arizal, the way sparks of holiness ended up in the, in the, in the clutches of darkness in the first place, was because of what's a concept called shvira sakelim, a shattering of vessels. And when something collapses, when a, when a, when a, when when something shatters, when a when a when a when a vase or a, something just goes explodes, um, so it, it it goes far. Or when the marshal is given in Hasidus is as follows: when a wall falls down, the stones that were on top of the wall fall the farthest away. So the highest of the high, the deepest sparks of holiness, fall at a greater distance from Kedusha. So the tougher the klipa is. Mitzrayim were like really ugly, despicable klipa. They, they're, they're, the level of immorality of Egypt was tops anything that we can even imagine. It was so ugly, so horrific. And so the deepest and highest sparks of holiness were in Egypt. And it took agonizing suffering for the Jewish people to extract those sparks, the 210 years of labor. We finally took it out. The Gam Eriv Rav, a mixture of Rav and Kabbalah, Hasidus explains, out of, the out of the 288 sparks that there are total, Reish Peches, which by the way, 288 super mega sparks. 
Each of them is splintered into billions later. But initially it's 288 sparks that have fallen, according to Kabbalah. Merachefes, alpaneyamayim, reish peiches, meis. Take the word merachefes. Merachefes, veruach alokim, merachefes, alpaneyamayim. Which talks about right at the beginning of creation, the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. The word merachefes, if you break it on up, you get the word reish peiches, 288 meis died. That's the 288 sparks that have fallen. So out of the 288 sparks that we have to do a concept called Tikkun Olam, of correcting, of elevating the world, 202 we elevated in Egypt. We're just left with 86 sparks that were busy in all the other gullies and fixing. That's what the Arizal says. Amazing. V'gam Eriv Rav, Olu Imam, a mixture of Rav, 280, 202 sparks were taken out. 86 Gamatria Elohim are left over for us to fix and all the rest of the exiles. But they took out an immense... Wealth. Now here's the amazing thing. Because all these sparks were returned, hear what's going on over here. These sparks are gewaldige, gewaldige divine treasures. These are unbelievable sparks of holiness that God has been missing so much. It hurt him so much that they left him, that they were separated. Now of course it's intentional. Shattering of the vessels is not an accident. But whatever it is, these are pieces of the divine that have been cut off. It's like an amputation. It's like pieces of Hashem. It's like a one and only child that was lost. Hashem misses these sparks. And when we brought these sparks back, and especially when we elevated them by the Yamsuf, when we brought them back, and those sparks we retrieved, the joy and the, and the, and by Hashem was so immense. And when someone is happy, what happens when you're happy? Simcha causes you to reveal yourself. That's why we, when Chazal talk about spiritual revelation, the highest revelation that we talk about in terms of Giluya Lukuz, God was by the Yamsuf. You look at all the sages and all the statements, Medrash and Chazal, in regards to of the sages, when it comes to Kriyas Yamsuf, Shri Shal Pesach, it's like, wow. To the point where they say that even a maidservant amongst the Jewish people, which is a very, very low spiritual level, she's a maid, experienced by Kriyas Yamsuf, that which the greatest of the prophets never wouldn't, wouldn't even dream to. To have such such prophecy, such godly revelation. Everybody. And it was equal. It was like everybody had this incredible revelation of Hashem. In other places it says what Moshe Rabbeinu didn't see in his highest moments. Was revealed to all the Jewish people by the Yamsuf. Even fetuses it says. In the mother's womb sang Shira. Were singing. Even the unborn babies. Because the revelation was so powerful. Why? What brought about such revelation? It was because this was this is this was because of all what we've achieved in Gullus. This was reward. This was it. The Abishta's reward, the Abishta's Nachas, and as a consequent consequential element of that, the glowing face of God that was revealed by the Amsa and the splitting of the sea. And, and it and, and it's not Stam, and here's another idea. It's not Stam that the splitting of the sea. By the splitting of the sea, there was Nevoah. By the splitting of the sea, the Jews can see everything. They can see across all the worlds. That itself means the splitting of the sea. The sea represents a partition, a concealment. The sea is something, because when you, you go to the ocean, the ocean is most magnificent. There's a world under the ocean. There's a beautiful world under the ocean. There's forests under the ocean, kelp forests. There is the most magnificent creatures, fish that are just beautiful. 
coral reefs, worlds. But when you go to the ocean, go to the sand, go to Santa Monica, stand and look, you see this water. It's all covered. It's all concealed. The ocean is a helem. It's a concealment. It's a block. Kriyas Yamsuf means the Abish that tore open all the concealments. He opened up, he ripped open that block that separates between the divine and the world. And now we have vision. We can see. We were able to see. But why was there such revelation? Because of the sparks of holiness. And that's what he says over here in these two lines. The the loot by the sea was so great. This is the idea of the elevation of the sparks. At this moment we elevated. This is when the sparks finally made their connection back. When we took it all out of Egypt. And then he says, The maidservant, because of that, the maidservant saw by the sea that which no one can ever see. And now he adds, just in a few words, Chazal say about Yitzhiyas Mitzray, an amazing thing. They say, Rashi brings it, that when the Egyptians were pursuing the Jewish people from behind them, and the sea was on the front. So Rashi brings it's a marshal to a father who is going with his son, and suddenly they're hiking and wolves attack. So the father goes in order to protect the boy from the wolves. He puts the boy behind him. And he is the barrier between him and the wolves. And he's fighting the wolves to protect the son. His son is behind him. Then what happens next? Thieves come up from behind. So the father grabs the son from behind and puts him in the front. And he is the barrier between the thieves and the, and the, and the child. Suddenly the wolves reappear again from the front. Because the wolves are looking, they went there, they're watching. And when they see the father put the son on the front, and they're in the front, they come now towards the boy. Because the thieves were coming from behind. So they said, ah, now we got him. So the father takes the boy and puts him on his shoulders, and he fights with both of them. Kacham al so he fights with both of them simultaneously. So the, so the, med, the Medrash, the Rashi brings it, says as follows. First the, first, the Jewish people were going out of Egypt, and they had the the ocean, the sea was before them. So it says Hashem was walking in front of them. They were behind and Hashem was walking. To make sure that no dangers come from the front. They were going into the desert. They were going to a dangerous place. Suddenly the Egyptians start pursuing from the back. So God put the Jewish people. It says the Malach that went in front went behind them. And he was catching all the missiles. And then they came to the sea. So the front and the sea, they had the wolves in the back, whatever. Whatever the, exactly the marshal is. It's hard to figure out in Rashi exactly. It says Hashem lifted the Jewish people up. That by the Kriyas Yamsav itself, he fought with everybody. He fought with the sea. He split the sea. He fought with the Egyptians. He decimated the Egyptians. There wasn't even one left alive. And we, the Jewish people, were carried by God across the sea. So it's interesting. Chazal compared the going through the Yamsav of a father lifting up his son. And then the Chazal bring a Pasuk. It says in the Pasuk, I have bent down. Targalti means... So Hashem is, is the father. Vani and I, Vanoichi and I, Tirgalti, I have bent down to my legs. Tirgalti means I've went down to my feet. Le'afrayim, to bend down to Ephraim. Ephraim is the name for all the Jewish people over here. I've bent down to Ephraim. Oy, gewalt, something hit me now, awesome. Now I get why he's called, it doesn't say in the Mimer. But why the Jewish people are called Ephraim at this moment. Vanoichi, Tirgalti, Yisrael. Why Ephraim? 
Why Ephraim? It's unbelievable. Who's the first product of Golas? Who's the first? Menashe and Ephraim were the two sons. And Hasidus explains what's the idea with Menashe and why is Ephraim called Ephraim. So it says that Yosef named his two sons Menashe and Ephraim because of the two gains that we gain in Golas. There are two, there are two, there are two prophets. The Jewish people make two prophets in exile. What are the two prophets? What we make when Hashem puts us in exile to gain a prophet. What's the prophet? Prophet number one is because we have test after test after test after test, we become much stronger. Like a child, when they go away for, for yeshiva for a year, they, they toughen up because they don't have their parents always sheltering them. You go away, you go to camp for a summer. It makes you fend for yourself. So Golos makes us fend for ourselves. We don't have God there visibly taking care of us. He's hidden. It's a Hester pun. It takes us, we have to stand up, we have to fight for being a Yid. We have to fight for a mitzvah. We have to, so the tough, that's one thing. That's Menashe. Menashe means, comes from the word they, that the Golos want to make me forget. Nashani. Nashani means to move away. The Golos is threatening me to move away from God. Gidhanashe. The moved, the moved um, um, sciatic nerve. It's called Nashe. Nashe means to move away. The Golos is trying to separate us, to move us away from God. And we fight to keep connected. That's Menashe. But Ephraim, Yosef realized the second son is much deeper. Like we find later when Yaakov benches them, what does he bench? He puts Ephraim before Menashe. What's Ephraim? Ephraim represents not only that the Golos tries to, the darkness tries to impact us and destroy us, and it makes us stronger by fighting the exile. Ephraim is called Ephraim, Ki Hefrani Elohim, Hashem had made be fruitful, Be'eretz Anye in the land of my affliction. That means that we don't only become strong despite the darkness, we find the treasures that are in the darkness itself. We extract them. We, was, the Golas is not just seen as something to challenge us. It's part of a treasure hunt. Ephraim, we take all the, all, the, all the unholiness of the exile itself and take those sparks and include it into Judaism. We elevate it, we purify it. That's Ephraim. What did we say now? What's the whole celebration of Kriyas Yamsov? That Hashem is celebrating the return of all the sparks of holiness. That's, that's not Menashe, that's Ephraim. Ephraim's avod, that element in the Jewish people that we become fruitful. And that's what we're doing now. We're taking all the sparks of holiness. We're elevating the loot. So that's why it says, when it comes to the Yamsov, Hashem says, Vanoichi tergalti, I am bending down. Le Ephraim, to you that's called Ephraim because you've so, you've so enriched from the Golas and I'm going to show you the great godliness, I'm going to reveal to you everything. And that's the revelation. I'm going to tear the sea open and let you see. But here, the words of the Alter Rebbe are just so unbelievable. He says that the, the Kriya, by Kriya Siamsev, we said we have the highest kiloi, the highest revelation we've never had. He says, imagine a little tiny, he says, a little boy. He's a little boy. The little boy is, is you know, a lot of people can't see. Whenever there's like, I remember when I was a little kid, I used to go to Rebbe's Titian and to here and to there, and I would go with my father. And it was always frustrating because you're squished between hundreds of people. Until your father has mercy on you and picks you up on his shoulders, and you see, suddenly you can see what's going on. That's what happened. The problem with the Jewish people were, God was so excited. He wanted to blast them with light. But we were just new, newly born spiritual. We were like little children, Ephraim. We were little, we were cut, and we were just, just newly born. We were little infants. We had katnus amoichen. We had very, very small, immature perception abilities. 
So the Abishter bends down and lifted us up like a father. And he gives an imagine. He says, imagine a very, very tall father lifting up his little child. And, the boy, and the, when the boy is put on top of his father, his vision is unbelievable. And that was the vision by the splitting of the sea. We had such prophecy at that moment. Hear these words. He put them on his hands, on his arms. It's like a mushal of a little child. Who is not able to see far. Because he's short. He's little. And his father picks him up to see. The vision was unbelievable then. Because our father picks. And that happens every year. God picks up every single one of us to the greatest heights. To have vision. But the greatest thing is he's going to explain. This was then. And by the, you'd see, by Shvisha Pesach, after Mashiach comes, when we go through the river, whoa, as we're going to see. The Hinexiv, and this is where he comes in. This was explanation on the Kriyas Yamsev of then. The Hinexiv, and it says in the Pasuk, Ad Yavoyer, Ad Yavoyer. It says two times, Ad Yavoyer, Amcha Hashem, until your nation will cross. Ad Yavir, until they will cross Amzu Kanisa, this nation that you have acquired. Beis Pa'amim, it says it two times. Because when Mashiach comes, it says, and he's going to lift his hands over the river. Ba'yam Ruchai, with his powerful spirit. I think that's what Ba'yam means. I have to look it up again. When he's going to split the river, he's going to split the river to seven passageways. Either it means seven streams. Nechala means seven streams, or it means seven pathways between. Just like Kriyas Yamsuf, the Yamsuf was not split into one. The Yamsuf was split into twelve passageways, corresponding to the twelve Shvatim, and every Shevet went up in their own passageway. When Mashiach comes, we're going to go through the river, it's going to be split into seven. Vihidrich, and what does it say? He will make us cross Bana Olam with the shoes. Uksiv Basrei, and oy, 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 oy. But that incredible revelation that's going to be after Mashiach comes, that unbelievable godly revelation is going to be the rewards and the culminating effects of 2,000 years of miserable blood, of, 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 the, of, the, of the slaughter that we've gone through, the pain, the persecution, the, all that the Jewish people, that's impossible even to imagine how much suffering we've been through. And an amazing thing. What's the next puzzle? Right after, after this Pasuk, that Hashem is going to take us through the river, after He splits it to seven, it says, And you're going to say on that day, I thank you, God, that you put me through all this suffering. In other words, now the Gullus doesn't make any sense. Nothing makes sense. All the suffering doesn't make sense. Everything. The whole Gullus is one big Chilol Hashem. Desecration of God, like why? Why? Like how much? What's the sheer? Doesn't make any sense. And the Abishta must feel horrible because no one, no one, everybody's everybody's frustrated with him. And it's true. It doesn't make any sense. A people should go through so much. For what? For what? You're angry? Okay, you should finish. You know, we've already like what's going on? It's because there is such a good, because the because the the good, but the good that Hashem is going to reveal to us after the coming of Mashiach is such delight. And we could never have gone there had we not elevated all the sparks of the gullahs 
which require all that suffering and all that pain. And that's why it's only after we will go through those seven, those seven passageways and cross the river, then we will say, Oit Hashem, we will thank Hashem, Ki Anaftabi, Yashuv Apcha, Visenachmeni. May your anger, Yashav, be retracted. And now, Nachmeni, you're going to comfort me. When we comfort someone of a loss, we comfort them. But we can't give them back what they lost. We comfort them. When God comforts, His comfort is that, is that you realize that there was a purpose, and it was all worth it, and now you're not only saying it's okay, but you're thanking the Abishter for having put, put us through all of this. And by the way, you should know this is not only collective. It's not only the Jewish people. This is each and every individual. Well, thank God for every single bit of hardship we had in our life, even though now sometimes we have complaints and we don't understand why. And it's like, but then there will be a thank you because that's the way only that we can go through this river and, and, and reach that light. Uksiv, and it says in the Mitzrayim, just like the days when you went out of Egypt, I will show you wonders. Which means, that these, these great wonders that are going to be when Mashiach comes is similar to Yitzhiyah's Mitzrayim. Now he's going to explain now it's far more spectacular than Yitzhiyah's Mitzrayim. But it's similar in the idea that there is a splitting of a, of a body of water. That, that's the similarity. The Hainu, as he explains now, of Yisrael, just like the Jewish people crossed. When they went out of Egypt. They went out they went through the May, the water of the Yamsuf. Um, now, hear the words. Everything is in the words. Yamsuf is called Yamsuf. What's Suf mean? Suf simply means it's the sea of reeds. Suf means like a, a, a swamp, the sea. But there's a, the word Suf comes from the word Saif. It's the end. Yamsuf means it's the Saif. It's the letter at the end. It's the end of all levels. What does that mean? God creates, in order for Hashem to enliven and to create our world, in order for Hashem to enliven our world, Hashem has to conceal Himself. And He conceals Himself with many, many partitions and many, many veils. What's the last and final partition before He creates this world? Is the partition of the Shekhinah called Malchus. Malchus is that, that's the sea. The sea the last, is the last and final partition. And then, from the sea, then Hashem creates this world. Like it says, Let the dry land, and on the dry land, Hashem creates everything. The sea is that last barrier that separates. By the Yams of what did the Eberster do? He broke open the, the sea. And he let us see past the sea. Oh, so he tore the last curtain. If he tore open the last curtain, we saw the divine. We saw the divine. We can see God. We can see the Abishter. But which level of Hashem can we see? That which is past the last partition. But all the other partitions are still closed. There are partitions that are higher, that are still closed, that are concealed. So we talk a see deeper, but there is a limit. There's a limit to how much we see. We're not seeing everything. We're seeing a little deeper. But, Cain la'asid lave, when Mashiach will come, Yavru esanohar, we're going to cross the river, and the river is much higher than the sea. 
We're going to go to the other side of the river. Let me explain just for a moment. We know a Kabbalistic concept, I'm sure everybody heard, is the ten sephiros, the ten attributes. Ten attributes begin from Chachma, Bina, right? And the ten attributes are also connected to, are, are three intellectual attributes. What are they attributes? Attributes are funnels through where God funnels His infinite creative power into the universe, into the creation. And it has to come through various different stages of concealments until it can make its way to create the world as we know it. So now, um, the attributes work that from the higher it goes lower. Chachm is the highest, Bina is next. These attributes, and then finally you get to Malchus. Malchus is the point of contact where God actually, Malchus is Hashem's mouth. Malchus Peh, Hashem speaks and He creates the world. First Hashem has an idea of the creation. Let's look at it this way. First Hashem creates the world in His mind, in His idea. Then He gets excited emotionally about it. He invests His emotions, so to speak. And finally, after the emotions, He speaks to create the world. So speech is the last and final madrega. That's called the Amsuf, speech. Much higher than speech is Bina. Oh, hold on. Let me just add one more thing. These Ten spheres are alluded to in God's name, the Yud Kevavke, the Tetragrammaton, Hashem's name, Yud Kevavke, symbolize these spheres. Yud is Chachma, the first of the ten spheres. He is Bina, and then the six emotions are called Vav, Chesed Gevurah Teferes Netzachod Yisod Vav. Finally, the latter He of Hashem's name is Malchus. So there are two He's, but what are the two He's? Bina and Malchus. Both these Hays, Bina and Malchus, are, and this is very special, both these Hays, Bina and Malchus, are feminine. Bechlau, the Yud and the Vav are masculine energy, and the, and, and the two Hays are feminine. Why? Because the, the woman is the Kali, the vessel. The man is the energy, or in Kali, light and vessel. Woman is the vessel. Um, and the vessel is always a concealer. What does a vessel do? When you put something in a vessel, the vessel conceals. It contains and it conceals. So there's two main concealments in God's light. The first emanation of Hashem's light is the Yud, powerful emanation. It gets retained in the vessel of Bina. Bina is the first day, is the first vessel. It's the first container. Then from that container, the light filters through, and you have the Vav. The Vav is already the light coming past the first container. The, the Vav is already... A, can you compare the Vav to the Yud? What's the difference between the Vav and the Yud? The Yud is a far brighter light than the Vav. Why? Because the He is in the middle. The He is the first filter. The Yud light goes into the He. The He acts as a powerful filter. What comes out is a Vav. It's a much lesser light. And then the Vav goes down into the He. It's the second filter. And finally, from the hay, the light, the second hay, the light filters into the creation and it's totally blocked. Two hays. The upper hay, and they're called mother and daughter. Bina's called mother. There's a passage that says, like mother, like daughter. That daughter is going to be similar to mother. Every, every woman says, I'm not like my mother at all. But the passage says, ke'ima kabita, like mother, like daughter. And um, so the, the, the upper hay and the smaller hay, they are hinted to in the two wives of Yaakov. Yaakov had two wives, Leah and Rachel. These are the two f- females, means the two, 
Leah and Rachel are more than just two human beings. They're also two divine energies. And what does it say by the older one by Leah? Shem Hagedola Leah. Shem Hagedola Leah. Shem Hagetana Rachel. So the Arizal says, don't read it Hagedola, read it Shem Hagedola. The name of the big hay is Leah. Shem Hagetana, the small hay, is Rachel. Why does Yaakov love Rachel more than Leah? Why? Because the whole point of Yaakov is to get to illuminate the world. So he wants to, he wants to bring his light down to Rachel because Rachel is the lower hay. Yaakov is not satisfied with God's light shining in the higher realms. He wants to permeate the lower world with God's light. That's the whole point of the Jewish people, to blast the light down, down. That's why if the light remains, if he just marries Leah, and he brings the light into the higher container, and he doesn't bring the light into the lower container, the world, the lower worlds are still dark. You got to bring it down all the way into Leah, into Rachel. Following? Two haze. Now, let's translate that into psychology a little bit, just for a moment. What does it mean, there's two filters? So in the human, um, it, it, what it means, in the kochas adafish rather, in the powers of the soul, it means as follows. There are, the woman represents, we said before, kalim vessels. There's two levels of kalim. Letters, letters are vessels. Letters. I was sitting in front of a book, and the book that you're sitting in front of, the copy you're sitting in front of, has a bunch of letters. A bunch of letters. But contained in these letters, I promise you, is a blazing godly fire. You're not sitting in front of a sheet of paper. You're sitting in front of the burning bush. This, this, this copies that I just got it out of the copy machine. But in this little passage over here is a blazing fire of the Avishter is in here. But you're not seeing the fire. You know why you're not seeing the fire? Because the fire, when the Alter Rebbe perceived this, he saw a blazing fire. That's where he saw. But he needed to give that experience. He, he probably experienced this on Shvishal Pesach. When he was standing by the Yamsuf, he saw this blazing fire of light. But he needed to put it into something. So he put it into the letters. And these are the letters that you have over here. But we see in letters, there's two levels of letters. There's levels, there's letters of speech, and there's letters of thought. There's letters of thought, and there's letters of speech. Bina is the letters of thought. And Malchus is the letters of speech. And they're really, now here's an amazing thing. When you take a concept and you put it into words and you explain it to someone, it's not the same. It's just not the same. Once you're putting something into words, you lose so much of it. If you can only communicate without the words, if you can only give it over like it is without the words, the words, so words are act as both. Words act as a conveyor. It's the best conveyor we have. But on the other hand, it's still limited. Words are limited. We don't have any better thing to do but words, but the safe kosaif it is limited, and it helps because if you were to try to if you would try to give the idea of pure light to someone, it would it would it would just it would cause a shvira sakelim, it would break their minds. So you have to give it in words, piece by piece. You put it into letters. But here's an amazing thing: Do you realize that thought, the fact that every conscious experience that we is all through thought, that too is dimming the light. Thought, the letters of thought is also dimming the light. If you can experience something without the letters, without thought, it's much brighter. And the truth is that you know, in your own experiences, when you have an epiphany, when you're flashing an idea, a new concept, a new idea, 
you'll realize that you don't really hear words. The first, on the right side of the brain, when you have like a flash of insight, it's just a concept, it's so rich. Then you throw it into the left side of the brain where the bina is, and that's where you start speaking. It starts becoming sentences, it starts becoming... Once it's in the bina, you're getting it more, you're understanding it better, but you don't have the sharp light. The brightness you had, the first moment when it hit you, it goes away once you put it in the words, because words are already concealing. Now hear this, and this is like, this can make one jump out of their seat. That's the idea of the two splittings of the sea that we split. When we went out of Mitzrayim, we went through a sea. We went, we, 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 basically what Hashem is going to tear open is Hashem is tearing open the two haze. And He's allowing us to see the light, not through the hay. So Malchus is the lower hay. By Kriyas Yamsuf, Hashem breaks open Yamsuf, the soif of all, the world of speech. Hashem peels that away, you can see the light. But He only peels away the letters of speech. You can see the light. But he doesn't, but you're still, there's still one filter is still there. The filter of thought is still there. The filter of Bina, Leia is still there. Rachel isn't there anymore. Rachel was opened so the light can pass through. But Leia is still there. After this Gullus, we're going to go through the river. That means the river is the Bina. Bina is called the river, the river of thought. He's going to tear that open and we're going to experience the, di- the divine pre thought in a level of pure vision, of pure light, not through understanding. Now when we learn, everything is through understanding. Can you really grasp God? We learn, we learn, we, we have no other way. We have to learn, so we use our minds, but God is not something that can be taken with the mind. There's no thought. With vision, yeah. But today, we have to work through the bina. We can't have an experience of pure chachma, pure vision. Once we go through the river, now the reason about how can we go to such a place? How can we go past that river, past thought, and still survive? How can we go into the infinite light without any filters and still survive? The answer is our nishamis. The truth is no one else can survive, only Jewish people. Why? We say this by the Pesach say that it's unbelievable. We say it by the Seder. Be'ever ha-nohar yashvu your forefathers, that means your avis, forefathers, means your neshamas, your souls. In their quintessential beginnings, you really begin in the other side of the river. All of creation starts after the river. You see, by, by, by the story of creation and parsha Aspiratius, what does it say? V'nohar me'eden, a river goes out of Eden. And that river, Eden is Chachma, Eden is the Yud. And the river goes out of Eden, and it goes down to the Gan, to the garden. And from the garden, it goes, right? And that, 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 that pasuk that talks about a river going out of Eden, it's not Stama River. It's talking about the whole flow of cosmic energy. As godly energy flows into the universe, how is it going? First it's emanating from the Yud, that's Eden. Then it's going to a river, that's the Bina. Then it gets down to the Gan, the Gan is Malchus, the second filter. And then it forks into four rivers, that's already the creation. The four main Malachim, the Barkava, Whatever, that's already the creation. But first there is a river. But it says, so all, the cre- all of creation begins on the other, on, 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 from the river and onward. But you, the Jewish people, what does it say about the Jewish people? Yisrael, Alu, the Jewish people emerge b'machshava in thought. And in thought it really means pre-thought. At the very, very, a thought that doesn't have letters. You come higher, be'ever anor Yashua Your fathers came from the other side of the river. 
You really, your souls are so deeply embedded in me, God. You know me, not through words, not through any understanding. You know me intimately. Norvas then, what then happened? I took you and I put you, I ferried you across the river, which means I planted you in creation, even though you're way above creation. You're infinitely higher than creation. You're way above it. I put you in the creation. But since your neshama begins in a place on the other side of the river, that's why you can experience, and the end of days, you're going to cross back that river. The very same river that I took Avram Avinu, I took him from one side, I took their neshamas from that, and I put them into creation, you're going to cross back, but this time you're crossing with your bodies. With, not only with your bodies, with your shoes. With the, with the coarsest part of you, is also going to be part of that that elevation, because everything is going to be refined. That's the content of what we're learning over here. Um, the comes, we're going to cross the river, to the other side of the river, like it says, your father sat on the other side, this is the river that goes out of Eden, this is the river of Bina, and you will cross the Nahar and you will go to Eden itself. Now Chazal say an amazing thing. What's Eden? What's Eden? So Chazal say like this. All the prophecies that the prophecies were misnaba, that, said, that all the prophecies that were said about the reward of the Jewish people. And there's tons of prophecies. That's only, that's all referring to Gan Eden and Ba'olam Azad, this world. The world to come, which is, that's only the God, that's Gan Eden. Aval Eden itself, for that, no eye has ever seen. That, even, the, even the prophets, no one can even have any glimmer of what that is, because that you can't, that no one can describe. That's Eden itself. Once we cross the river, we will go into Eden. Not just Gan Eden, we will, we will go to Eden itself. Whoa, when we go there, what does it say? Olam the world to come. That's why there's no eating. Because there we get to experience the divine not through any, through any filters. The whole thing, we use, today we get life through food. We're working through filters. God is sustaining us through this and through that. There we're going to be sustained directly from the Ebishter himself once we go through Eden. And that's why the Anor Ayyotzmi Eden, the Yeduat is known, She'eden Ubchenas Chachma. Eden is Chachma. And that's where, and in Chachma there's no words. It's not understanding, it's vision. The Ezu, Chacham, and what does Chacham mean? Chachma is not Bina's understanding. Chachma is more like a vision, you see something. Chazal say, what's a Chacham? Haroya, one that sees a Sanola, that which is born. Bebchenas one that can see. The Nohar, Eden, and the river that goes out of Eden, Ubchenas Bina, that's Bina. Shubchenas Shmiya, that's hearing. Havana and understanding. Today's days, we contemplate. We contemplate God's greatness. We don't see Him, we contemplate. Now, the ten. Sorry, I'm sorry, not just. We learned so much Yud Sviris that I'm saying Yud Sviris. The Yamsuf was split into 12 splits. The minion shifted bin Yisrael corresponding to the set to the Shvatim. Kedichsev legoizer yamsev legzarim. Hashem tears open the yamsev to splits. Kedayolam chastoy bechdei in order. Shakol shevet v'shevet that every shevet 
Everybody should go in their own path, everybody according to their level, according to what they can apprehend. But when Mashiach will come, it says, Hashem is going to split it into seven. Corresponding to the seven shepherds, Gimel Avais, Vidalad Imaois. Our three fathers and our seven mothers. Let's understand why. Kriyas Yamsuf, one of the differences between the splitting of the river and the Yamsuf was that the Yamsuf split to 12, and the river split to, the river is going to split to seven. What's the idea? So, a little, a little Kabbalah now for a moment. Okay, we have the 10 spheres. Then we have the Yam, the Yamsuf, that's the 10th sphere, that's Malchus, creates this barrier, this filter. That doesn't uh, here, and then on the other side, Shlomo Melech in the Beis Hamikdash. It's interesting. Shlomo Melech outside in the courtyard of the Beis Hamikdash, he made something called Yam Shol Shlomo. What was it? It was a big bowl of water. I think it was made out of gold or big bowl, and it had twelve cows on the bottom, statues. And what was that symbolic of? The bowl, that's the Shechina, that's Malchus, that's the source of life for all of the creation. Twelve are referring to the first creatures that are receiving from the divine. There are four, four, because in the Merkava and the chariot, there are four beasts. The lion, the eagle, the face, the, the, the human face, and the, and, the, uh, and the ox. Four. But really they're divided in twelve because each one of them has is really made up of three. So three for each one, so three times four is twelve. Which means that the creations, the first creations receiving from God's light are receiving, are split in twelve. That's already the creation, that's the malachim, that's the merkav. Since kriyas yamsov is that the creation is making contact with the creator. That's why it's split into twelve, because every element in the merkava is splitting, is connecting to its source. Okay, let me, let me put it, let me see the reason why. Because in Malchus itself, see, we spoke when it's speech, one more, one more idea in order to, fit the, to make the puzzle complete. Um, we spoke already other times that Malchus, speech doesn't have any content on its own. Speech is words. What are letters? Letters are just letters. Depends what content you give them. You can put, you can put the most beautiful conce- uh, concepts into speech. You can put profanity into speech. Same letters. You're using the same letters. It's just it's the content. What you're putting into it, that's that's uh, that, that's what's Malchus is letters. Now, so Malchus has to have content. Where's the content coming from? It's coming from the six emotions. Sheishes Yamim Asa Hashem. Hashem six days he creates. The six emotions are being channeled through divine speech, and that's how God is speaking. Sunday he's speaking kindness, Monday he's speaking discipline, Tuesday he's speaking compassion. Every day a different emotion is manifesting in words, and that's how God is creating. So the dibur is mekabel from the emotions. How many emotions are there? Six. The six emotions, however, cross over and they blend with opposite emotions. So the chesed, in general the six emotions are divided for the emotions on the right side and the emotions on the left, right and left. But in order to create balance, they enter, they go across. It's called Yud Beis Gevulei Alachsim, the Yud Beis diagonal lines, 12 lines. So in order to create, connect Chesed with Hod, or Gevura with uh, Netzach, which is in the two opposite sides, you end up, so really it comes out from the six, you double it, and you get 12. 
So there's 12 sources of creation in Atsilos, in the divine, and that creates 12 head creations, creatures in the world. Kriyas Yamsov is the creation meets its creator. So therefore there's 12, the sea is split, that every creature, every one lines up with that particular emotion that, it's, that is its source of energy of the divine. You see, everything is matching up with its source. That's why it's split into 12. That's when you split Malchus. But when Mashiach is going to come, Bina is going to be split. Now Bina is the mother of who? Of six sons and one daughter. Of the six Midas, Chesed, Gevur, they're all products of the Bina. When Bina is going to be split, the seven emotions are going to connect to the Keser, to crown, much higher. So the seven spheres of Atsilos, they're going to unify with the Ein Sof, together with all of creation. Now the split is from the creation to the lower, to the spheres. And then the spheres are going to become unified with the Ein Sof, lifting all of creation up into the Ein Sof. That's why it's splitting into seven, corresponding to the three others and the four Imais, which are all connected to those to that Indian. Um, and our days, the other side of the river was not revealed yet. We only had the revelation of the, of the sea, not the revelation of the river. I will show them wonders. Erenu. In other words, what, what's going to happen when Mashiach comes is we're going to pass the world. Our experience of godliness is not going to be through understanding. It's going to be through vision. That's why, by the way, it says that Mashiach is going to teach everybody. Mashiach is going to be the greatest teacher ever to live. And he's going to teach all the Jewish people. He's even going to teach the Avais and Moshe Rabbeinu and all the, everybody, all the prophets. Everybody's going to learn from Mashiach. The question is, how is one human being going to be able to teach so many levels? You go into a school, you have different levels. You have kindergarten, nursery, kindergarten, uh, pre-1A, first high school. Here you have... <laughs> Every, the Jews that live, Moshe, they live 2,000 days. Who knows what kind of a saga in our little tiny puny little brains? How can one teacher teach all? And the answer is when you're teaching through words and through this, then you need to speak to everybody their own language. But when you teach teaching through visuals, Mashiach is going to teach in a manner where he's going to show everything. Everything's going to be revealed. The famous story with the Baal Shem Tov, one of the best stories. When the Mizritcha Magid when the Holy Mizritcha Magid was a huge scholar. The Mizritcha Magid was a huge scholar. Talmud Chacham, a Kabbalist. He was unbelievable. And the Baal Shem Tov knew that he was supposed to be his successor. And the Baal Shem Tov was craving for the Mizritcha Magid's neshama to come to him. The Baal Shem Tov was the new, the new rabbi in town, you know, like uh, <laughs> with a whole new concept of Hasidus, no one really. So everybody was very wary of him. Especially the great scholars. And the Mizritcha Magid heard that there's a magnificent spiritual uh, human being, the Baal Shem Tov. He, he kind of was, it sparked his curiosity, but he was such a diligent Torah scholar that he felt that going to the Baal Shem Tov would be a bitl Torah. He would, he, he would, it would um, take away, he would, he would, it would cost him, he would have to travel. The travel time would, be, it would be cost, his, cost him in his learning, and he didn't want to do it. Finally, whatever, I don't know exactly what was what, pushed and what excited him to finally go to the Holy Baal Shem Tov. 
came to the Baal Shem Tov. And when he came the first time to the Baal Shem Tov, the Baal Shem Tov was telling stories. And the Baal Shem Tov wasn't stopped telling stories. He was telling stories that were, sounded like very, about the coachman, a story with horses, or nicer horses, better horses. It's a whole story with horses. And the Hasan people were listening, you know. And the Baal Shem Tov Shul was, I'm sure, an interesting place. You had every kind of schlepper there. You had a, I mean, this wasn't like, you know, very, okay, the Baal Shem Tov had a, it wasn't like, you know, a very sophisticated, you know, uh, whatever, uh, a Fifth Street synagogue. It was, uh, it was a shtibel. <laughs> and the Baal Shem Tov loved everybody. So everybody was there. And uh, there was no order over there that this was the, the, the Shane Eden sat in the front. It was, everything was mixed by the Holy Baal Shem He loved the simple Eden. And this probably, this probably fell asleep probably and he was snoring and this one was this. The scene must have been a very interesting scene. And the Mezritra Magid sits down and he's listening to the Baal Shem and he's telling stories about horses. And he frustrated him very much. He said, this is what I came for. I traveled a week over here. I didn't learn. I, got, I mean, it was hard for him to learn in the wagon. He was very frustrated. And he, came back the, and he came back the next time. I think it was a Shabbos, whatever. And the same thing happened. Baal Shem Tov was telling silly stories, what seemed to be silly stories. Of course, every single story the Baal Shem Tov said had the deepest mysteries of the universe, but he wasn't connecting to it. He just didn't get it. And, okay, finally he said, and I, I don't know, I don't even know why I came, and he decided to leave. And he came back to his, his, his inn, and he told the coachman, the coachman to prepare the wagon, and we're leaving. When he was already on the wagon, I think, the Baal Shem Tov sent the messenger to send to call him back. The messenger came, and he called in the last minute, and he said, the Baal Shem Tov wants to see you. See, he was debating, but you know, with a little respect, he decided to come back and he went. When he came into the Balshemta's room, the Balshemta looked at him and he read and the Balshemta said to him, They say upon you that you, you say about you that you know how to learn. They say about you that you know how to learn. So he said, um, So the Balshemta said, and they say about you that you know Kabbalah as well, not just revealed Torah. Balshemta said, I have a difficult passage of the Etzchayim. The passage of Arizal. And he says, and he opened it up to him and he said, Can you explain this to me? And there was a passage that was talking full talking all about names of angels. So the Magid sits, opens, looks at it for a while, and he and he explains it. The Magid was a huge Kabbalist, and he was a brilliant scholar, and he explains what the passage means. He finishes the Balshamta says that's not the meaning, it's not the Pshat. So he's taken aback because he knows that he really read he, he knows. So he looks at it again and he says, I think it is. So he says, he repeats it a second time. And it's maybe a little different. Totally not the Pshat. So he says, well, Rebbe, I think I'm saying the right Pshat, but if you think you know better, you say the Pshat. So the Boshemtav told him, stand up. He stood up and the Boshemtav started reading the piece of Yitzchayim. Suddenly the room was surrounded by fire. And the Malachim that were mentioned in the book, were there. And suddenly he sees, like it was. And the Baal Shem Tov said, that's Pshat, after they finished. He said, you learned Torah very good, but the, but the fire isn't there, the soul isn't there. In other words, there is talking about it, giving all the explanations and all the concepts, and there is the visualization being there. There's reading a map about a certain city, and there's going to the city and actually going there and seeing it. It's not, that, that's the difference. Mashiach will teach, it's going to be the Baal Shem Tov teaching, that kind of teaching. It's vision. And when Mashiach talks about God, you will see it. And that everybody can see together. It's not how much everybody's grasp is a different story. But the seeing, 
And that's the idea that we're going to cross the river. We're going to cross the river of Bina, of understanding, and we're going to go into the Chachma, into where godliness is revealed without any filter, just seeing. And that's the idea of Lainizgala. And that experience is going to be so exhilarating that dafka then, after we cross the river, we're going to say, I thank you, God, ki All the tsaris of the Golas was worth it. All the pain. And the Alter Rebbe is saying an interesting thing. We think it's not dafka the Holocaust. It's not dafka Chemlanitsky and who knows what. Inquisition. No, the day-to-day stresses that we all go through and paying bills, the difficult with parnasa that we have. All this is part of that refinement process. It's all leading us to be able to go through that river. That's why I let your... And you're going you're gonna to comfort me. Through this that we've endured the poverty and all the, the difficulty and the pressure... Nizka, we will merit We will merit the revelation of the other side of the river canal. When this is the meaning of six days, you should eat matzos. It doesn't say seven days. This pasuk says on the future. That the seventh day is going to be atzeres la Hashem. Pchinas, what does that mean? Remember what I said. Remember I said, why is this pasuk different? Because this pasuk is talking about Zion Shvishel Pesach after Mashiach comes. Then the seventh day is going to be atzeres la Hashem elokecha. Pchinas ever anor Eden. We're going to experience the ever anor that goes out of Eden. Sheim, but now by the way. The deeper meaning of atzeres la Hashem elokecha, as the other mimer says, he doesn't say over here is. That just like now, you on a regular yantiv, you are elevated to connect to the divine. When Mashiach comes, the ten spheros, the seven spheros, which are compi- which are called Havaya Elokecha, because the se- six spheros are called Havaya, and Malchus is called Elokim Elokecha. These atzeres, they are going to be absorbed higher. Atzeres Lashem Elokecha, the attributes themselves are going to be included in the Ain Sof. Everything is going to lift. The attributes are going to lift, and including the worlds that are going to come as a result of that in La Hashem Elokecha. That's why Dafka, Pchenas Ever Anod, crossed the river Hayoit Semei Eden, and that's a place, She'en Boi Loya Achila, over there there's no eating. Elechein Loya, Chulu Lechein Loya Boi Achilas Matzah. That's why we won't eat Matzah, Lechem Oini, poor man's bread. Because we're going to reach such godless Amoichen, such broadness of mind. Elechein Ksiv Loi Sa'asem Elocha. It says, don't do work, stop. V'loi melechas avoida, not a work of toil. K'dechsiv, like it says, b'shar yamim toivim. V'yadah yamim toivim. Shehutru behem oichel nefesh. By them it says, it's permitted to eat food. Avol b'yoy mazayin anal. But in the seventh day, l'asid l'avoy, loi sasa melecha stam. It says, don't do, don't do stam melech. Afilu melechas oichel nefesh nami. Even the work of oichel nefesh b'mashma. It seems to apply there's no work. Why? Because there's no eating. Because we're reaching past the work of eating, what eating has to accomplish, and the experience of eating. Because we get to experience the tainug of God without any, not through anything else. 
now he says in truth, Now the truth is, even though he's saying, what does it mean? We're saying that in Pesach, God had to lift us up because we're still in the Katna Samoich. He's saying, even though already on the first day of Pesach, there was already a revelation of the highest Mochen, the highest revelation. as it is known. But that was only temporarily. It was the first night of Pesach, the Jewish people already revealed, experienced everything. But that was totally not from their end. It was a revelation where Hashem did it on His own. It did not have any, it wasn't natural in any means. Hashem didn't come down in a regular way. He blasted them with such revelation. But after that, we have to start absorbing it. We have to start making it ours. That's where we have to count the Omer. After that great revelation the first night, every day we're refining another character trait within us. Little by little, so that we can chase away the negativity that's within us. Meaning to say, Every day there's a beer of one midah mahamidah from the midah, of the animal. So that's the meaning of law omer to the omer. The omer is the animal in us. It's called omer because omer was a measure of barley, and barley is an animal food. So every day, once we have the revelation, the empowerment of the first night, where God revealed everything, then we take that revelation and hopefully purify every day another part of our animal soul. But then he gives an interesting example, and this, and this he concludes the whole discourse. Well, Lamashal, it's an analogy. When a person gives a gift to someone, kiss He gives you a wallet filled a, a pouch full of gold coins. First, you receive the entire the entire pouch in one shot. And afterwards he counts the gold coins. What happened is like this. The first night Pesach, God gives us a pouch with gold coins. And then every day we count each coin to know what we get. On Shavuos we finished counting it and we say, ah. It takes Shavuos until we get the broadness of Moichen to be able to realize what we have. Why is this the end of the mimer suddenly? What is he saying? Even though the first night you get the first revelation, and then on Shavuos you really know what you got, how does this, what is the shaykhist to the idea of what happened on Shavishal Pesach? I'm still puzzled by it. I don't know why, why suddenly in the end of the mimer he puts this in. Isn't that great? We learned the whole mimer for two hours and then we don't understand? I'm a chaya. I love it. But that's the way it is. Good. Everyone should have a really good Pesach. A good Shvishal Pesach and a good regular Pesach. And this year, hopefully, on the other side of the river, the Ezra Sashem. Mm-hmm.